Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 19th of July, and I'm Govindraj Ethiraj coming to you from Mumbai. Still rained out. Our top reports and themes of today. Gautam Adani comes out aggressively in an address to shareholders, updates on various projects underway. The Enforcement Directorate will share information with the Goods and Services Tax Network. What does it exactly mean? Global growth has shown resilience, but manufacturing is slowing, says IMF chief in Gandhinagar at the G20. And hmm, the income tax authorities say that an inoperative PAN card is not the same as an inactive PAN card. This is a core report with Govindraj Ethiraj. The Adanis come out aggressively. Gautam Adani came out strongly and aggressively in a speech to shareholders at an annual general meeting of flagship firm Adani Enterprises yesterday. He brought up Hindenburg Research's what he termed as malicious allegations of corporate fraud and stock manipulation, which he labeled as false narratives that various vested interests tried to exploit. He did not get into any specifics beyond that, though nor presumably he would do so in an address to shareholders whose confidence he's trying to win back. The US-based Hindenburg Research had put out a damaging report in January which had peak wiped out close to $150 billion of the group's market values and accused the Adani Group and its promoters, more specifically, of stock manipulation via offshore entities, among other things. Adani said the report was aimed at generating a profit by driving down its stock prices And subsequently, despite a fully subscribed follow-on public offer, we decided to return money to investors to protect their interests. While we issued our rebuttal, various vested interests targeted us, Adani said. In the meanwhile, the Adani Group has of course recast some of its plans and projects, pulled back on acquisitions, scaled back spends, and prepaid debt to address concerns about its cash flows and borrowings. An interim report from a Supreme Court-appointed panel in May said it found no evidence of stock price manipulation. Adani Enterprises, which is the flagship of the group and whose annual general meeting he was addressing today, said its profits doubled to 722 crore rupees or $88 million for the quarter. My belief in the growth story of our Matra Bhumi has never been stronger, Adani said, meaning motherland. And then added, our country... India is the most exciting land of opportunity. After the speech, most Adani Group stocks rose, as did the market overall, to which I will come to shortly. Adani also touched upon the various green energy projects that the group is working on, including projects announced earlier. One wind and solar facility to come up in Gujarat would have a capacity of 20 gigawatts, he said. He also reiterated his group's commitment to have 45 gigawatts of green electricity capacity by the end of this decade. Bloomberg News reported that he did not mention any plans on hydrogen and a $50 billion hydrogen venture with Total Energies of France has been stalled since the French energy major put it on hold in February pending audits of the Indian conglomerate. Now here the portion of his speech today that touches upon the green energy part and perhaps also gives you a sense on the approach that he's taken. Adani Green Energy Commission, the world largest hybrid solar wind project of 2.14 gigawatt in Rajasthan. Our operational renewable energy portfolio has grown by 49% to over 8 gigawatt. This is the largest operational renewable portfolio in India. Our focus remains on producing 
the lowest cost green electron at a scale and i would like to reaffirm our target of a 45 gigawatt of renewable energy capacity by 2030 and there is more we are now building the largest hybrid renewables park in the world right in the middle of the desert in kavda it will be the most complex and ambitious project that we have ever executed spread over more than 72000 acres this project will be capable of generating 20 gigawatt of green energy and we intend to build it faster than any project in our execution history the ports business continue to be a pillar of strength on all fronts meanwhile foreign portfolio investors continue to invest steadily into indian bosses pushing indices to record highs again on tuesday though some profit booking kicked in the bse sensex closed at 66795 up 205 points after hitting an all time high of 67007 during the day the nifty 50 on the other hand was 38 points higher at 19749 edging down from a record peak of 19819 Very broadly, as we've been saying here, overseas investors are buying strongly into Indian equities in sync with their public and bullish position on Indian stocks. On the other hand, domestic institutional investors have turned net sellers. Data from the exchanges showed foreign institutions, by the way, have bought net around thirty-four thousand four forty-four crores worth of equity so far in July, according to official data. Results season as you know is picking up steam and an illustrative example of how some sectors are performing is to look at financials of banks like Indusind Bank which reported a net profit of about 2124 crore rupees for the April to June quarter a 33% jump as compared to 1631 a year ago total income for the same period as the first quarter rose 28% to 12939 including a net interest income of 5863 crore which increased 18% compared to the corresponding quarter of the previous fiscal the bank's gross non-performing assets stood at 1.94% down from 2.35% in the same quarter last year now just to remind you hdfc bank which of course is now the merged entity whose results came out 2 days ago also reported a 30% growth in net profit at about 11951 crore for the quarter ended june 2023 goods and services tax network and the enforcement directorate around 10 days ago india's finance ministry amended the prevention of money laundering act or pmla to include the goods and services tax network as among the entities that would share information with the ed the move was roundly attacked by opposition political parties who said that this would bring the feared enforcement directorate on to regular taxpayers who may slip up in the routine course of business the goods and services tax network has been added as the 26th entity to the list of agencies which are now required to share information with the ed and the financial intelligence unit under the prevention of money laundering act The Goods and Services Tax Network or GSTN is a non-profit non-governmental company providing shared IT infrastructure and service to both central and state governments including taxpayers and other stakeholders. So the front end services of registration returns and payments to all taxpayers are being provided by GSTN. Essentially, 
it's an interface between the government and the taxpayers. Now that the dust has settled a little bit, what does this new information sharing rule really mean to a business or business owner? I spoke with Prashant Agarwal, partner indirect tax at tax firm PwC, and began by asking him how he was reading the implications at this point. When it came out, there was a lot of confusion as to whether GST has to share the data. And that was what was creating noise, whether politically or among the taxpayers, because they wanted to understand better, at least the taxpayers I can talk about, that what is happening next. As such, in GST, there is a lot of audits and investigations which are going on. And there are sufficient powers within GST for prosecution as well for that. I think government did a good thing by clarifying it. And, you know, GST council meeting happened just a few days after that. And Revenue Secretary and others have been pretty much clear in terms of what is the expectation from this. The expectation is not for GSTN to share any data. It is the other way around. What they are saying is the Financial Intelligence Unit or ED, if they come across any suspicious data, that data now they can share with GSTN, with this enable. So GSTN can receive the data. And of course, when GSTN receives this data, it also means the tax authorities can receive this data. It is up to now tax authorities whether they want to act on this or not. Clearly, the way the government is trying to do is why they have brought it in is to look at the fake registration and the fake input tax credit, which has been a big issue within the GST system and the network, where, as you would be aware, there was a drive which was going on to look at the fake registrations and more than 60 or 1,000 registrations they have bought as fake at this stage as we talk about it. This is more of enabling GSTN to get more information about suspicious transactions on which they can then act upon if they believe that there could be more to it in terms of exchequer losing money on the GST front as well. So, I would say, thankfully, what clarification has come out, it should not mean detrimental to taxpayer in terms of GST and providing this information to any other serious authorities like ED, and that's about it. So, GST is goods and services tax, uh, which all of us pay one way or the other. So what you're saying now is that if I'm a business person or I could be paying GST otherwise as well as an individual too, the authority to which I'm paying, which is uh, the government of India, could maybe feel that there is something wrong with this transaction and therefore pass it on to the enforcement directorate. Is that the correct way? No, it's the other way. So let's say ED or an FIU is on to a particular business and they get into some kind of a suspicious transaction at their end, then they can provide that suspicious transaction as an information to GSTN. So now the GSTN, GSTN is the nodal technology administrative body, if I may call it that way, which then disseminates that information to relevant tax authorities. So they can get to know about. So it is ED or FIU, if they get into any investigation and they find anything suspicious, they can pass on the information. Based on which, if GST authorities believe they also need to take any action, then they can go for. It's not that if I or you are complying with GST and our information, GST would be able to pass on to FIU. That is not the case. And that's not their mandate either. So now, what prevented, let's say, an enforcement directorate or a financial intelligence unit from sharing information which they feel are suspicious earlier, before this notification was passed? It's more of enablement uh, legally, to be honest. I mean, if there was a need, they could have provided that information, but somebody could have disputed as to whether within the law you had the ability to pass on this information or not. So it's more of legal enablement. And we have seen that government has been quite active on the Anti-Money Laundering Act in terms of adding more and more 
people do it, including Ministry of External Affairs, if I'm not wrong, is part of this particular thing. So it's more of enablement, I would say, Govan, on this part. Thankfully, the government has clarified this. And, you know, I think this is pretty much settled in that way. So let me get a broader sense on GST itself. Uh, as you said, you know, they've been cracking down on fraudulent users, those who are obviously getting credit for something that they've not actually traded or transacted on. So where is that drive today? And what is it telling us about the health of the GST system in itself? See, I think two things uh, clearly. So I'll answer the first one, where it is heading. It has been quite aggressively looked at and they have looked at the GST and data. So they have a what they call as BIFA, which is Business Intelligence and Fraud Analytics System within GSTN, which provides enough sufficient trend and analytics as to where they feel these are suspicious transactions or suspicious taxpayers. Based on that data collation, which was also validated with PAN and otherwise, GST authorities did this crackdown for last two months, which has come to an end. And I don't know whether it is going to be extended as of now or not. And in that, as we understand from various statements which have come, they've looked at more than 50,000 taxpayers whom they have found to be erroneous or fraud. And they've seen that there are bookcase or there are areas where it is happening too many. I mean, which means within an area, you may have 80% of registration as fraud. On an overall basis, if you look at the number, we're talking about 1.4 crore almost taxpayers out of which you are talking about 60,000. So you may say percentage-wise, it may not be very, very significant, but it shows a trend that because of technology, the enablement that the government has brought in, of course, somebody has tried to do wrong things using that technology enablement as well. The best part it shows is that the government has enough and more data now to be able to trace you back. So that also creates a fear in the mind of taxpayer not to do these things. It's only the fly-by-night operators who have been trying this per se. And the government is also making more stringent efforts within the GST Act to ensure that nobody can game it. So we expect, and this has been ongoing for last two, three GST council meetings, whereby more and more uh, stringent processes are being built in where they believe there are high-risk taxpayers. How can they ensure that they do not game the system per se? And last question, Prashant. So uh, all of this now you feel uh, is adding up to more or greater compliance and therefore revenues to the exchequer, which is what I guess all of this should be for. Yeah, so of course it is. It is adding up to more compliance. So if you see the trend from 2020 when e-invoicing came about, which was registering of a particular invoice with the government portal, till date it is, let's say, 50% more compliance which has happened. And of course with these enforcements, the government point of view has been reinforced that there is a lot of gaps which can be filled in if we take the right action based on data. I think the best part about GST is the use of technology and data. The only request which we as industry would have from the government is to use it even better. Because in all of this, there are also good taxpayers which are getting unnecessarily harassed. And that part of it is what uh, we hope and expect can be done better. So that that normal taxpayer is not required to go through the same process or same problems which somebody who has actually gamed the system has. And he's rightly going through the process of prosecution. But I as a genuine taxpayer should not be caught in the whole thing per se. Right. Uh, Prashant, thank you so much for joining me. Always a pleasure. And the latest G20 news from Gandhinagar in Gujarat. Global growth has shown some resilience in the face of successive shocks, but prospects aren't encouraging, Kristalina Georgieva, the managing director of the International Monetary Fund, has said. Activity is slowing, especially in the manufacturing sector, Georgieva said in a statement 
on July 18th at the third meeting of the G20 finance ministers and central bank governors in Gandhinagar, an hour's drive from Ahmedabad in Gujarat. Looking further ahead, medium-term growth prospects remain weak. Moreover, divergences in economic fortunes across country are a persistent concern. Some pockets of the global economy are doing well, others are weakening but still growing. And vulnerable countries are falling further behind, she said. Meanwhile, Georgieva maintained that India is a bright spot in the global economy, echoing the sentiment expressed by Ajay Banga, the newly anointed president of the World Bank, who is also in Gandhinagar now. Despite concerns about future growth, the IMF's boss said that bringing down inflation on a durable basis is the top priority. While the decline seen in recent months was encouraging, Georgieva said the job is not yet done, according to a report in website moneycontrol.com. And hmm, the difference between inoperative and inactive in the eyes of the taxman. The Income Tax Department has said that a permanent account number or PAN that has become inoperative due to not being linked with the Aadhaar card is not the same as an inactive permanent account number or PAN card. The clarification was aimed at taxpayers, including NRIs, whose PANs were inoperative. NRIs specifically have been asked to intimate their residential status to their respective jurisdictional officer, along with supporting documents with a request to update their residential status in the PAN database. It is clarified that an inoperative PAN is not an inactive PAN. One may file income tax returns irrespective of PANs becoming inoperative, the tax body said in a statement yesterday. However, there will be consequences of an inoperative PAN, such as pending refunds and interest on such refunds will not be issued to inoperative PANs. Also, the tax deducted at source, or TDS, will be deducted at a higher rate for inoperative PANs, the tax department said. Similarly, Tax collected at source or TCS will be collected at a higher rate for inoperative PANs as well, the income tax department added. Yes, that makes it two tax-linked reports today. Not a good sign, I'm guessing. That's it for me for now. Have a great day ahead and see you tomorrow, same time. Do write in to us with any feedback or comments or suggestions on govindraj at thecore.in. Bye for now. This was the core report with me, Govindraj Ethiraj. Do stay connected with more of our coverage at the core. You can check out our website or sign up to our newsletter at www.thecore.in. That is www.thecore.in. Or follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook as well. Now, we would love your feedback on how we can make business more interesting and relevant to you including our reporting on India's vibrant manufacturing sector. Write to us at feedback at the core.in. Thank you for listening.